amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hey there, fellow travelers. Welcome to the Tolkien Road, episode 272. Greta. Hey, hey. Greta, you ready to start a new journey? Always. I'm always up for a new journey. Always up for a new journey. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. In this episode, we are returning to the Silmarillion. Over the last seven years, we've learned a ton about Tolkien, Middle Earth, and the art of podcasting, and we're excited to bring that knowledge to bear as we journey through the Silmarillion once again. Yes. So, it's and let's good. let's just say we're extra excited that we're going to have so many people along for the journey from the start this time. Yes. Yes, yes. We we did the the last time we did the Silmarillion like this was literally our first episode. We were just baby podcasters. Just baby podcasters. So, yeah. So not only have we learned a lot about podcasting since then, not only do vi- we don't have video of any of that stuff back then. Um, so we have all that. Plus, we have all you guys along for the journey this time, right? Listening in real time. So. Pretty yeah. exciting. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm gonna start gushing about it if I let myself go on. Um, but let's just say this is gonna be extra fun this time. I think even more fun than the first time through. I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. So. Yeah, I think it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be really good. And I feel like, um, you know, sometimes I feel like rereads. Like I'm like, well, there's so many great books in the world. Like, why waste your time reading one they've already read? Mm-hmm. But there are a few out there, <clears throat> excuse me, that I think are. Def- you're, getting, you're getting for Klimt. I'm getting for Klimt. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think there's definitely several works of literature out there that are definitely worth reading over mm-hmm. multiple times. Yeah. And the Silmarillion is one of them. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be even better the second time through for me. Because the first time I was just kind of, I was really new to most things Tolkien. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited to approach it with a uh, more informed and knowledgeable brain. And um, and also with um, just a little bit, uh, with our community as well. I think it's going to be really good. Boom. Yeah. So in, in, case, in case you haven't gotten the message yet, we're excited. <laughs> Word. Word. All right. Before we get started, we'd like to give a double up air five to our patrons. Greta, put mm-hmm. that coffee down. Mm-hmm. You're going to need both hands for this. I am going to need both hands. Okay. Three, two, one. Whoops. Boom. Nice. Nice, nice. Special thanks to this episode's executive producers, John R. and Caitlin of T with Tolkien. Thank you, guys. And a shout out to Andrew T., who annualized his pledge. Awesome. So. Thank you all. Yes, thank you guys. Hey, become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash Tolkien Road. Becoming a patron is easy and lands you a bunch of cool perks like episodes early and ad-free. 
Uh, and then 20% off all merchandise purchased through truemythspress.com, which you should go check out. And this is a brand new perk just announced on this episode. Access to our monthly live stream Q&A. So more on that at the end of this episode. So we've got a plan for our patrons only to do a live stream Q&A with them. And in order to get access to that live, you're going to have to be a patron. So, boom. I like live streams. It was fun. It was we had a so lot of fun, fun. doing that last one last month. It. Yeah. For sure. We've done a couple, right? Our last one was before <laughs> this past one, I think, was a while ago. But the few that we've done, I've really, really enjoyed. For sure. Yeah. And don't forget, right now and for the rest of January, you can now make an annual pledge and get two months free. So, two months of Patreon free. So, save yourself two months. You're going to want to become a patron for the rest of your life anyway, so you might as well save two months per year, right? Boom. Might as well. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win. All right. Uh, we've done this before, but I wanted to kind of refresh this. I like this idea since we're going through the Silmarillion uh, from the start this time. Uh, we're going to offer a Tolkien quote of the week, which is going to have some relevance, you know, for to kind of kick off each episode, set the tone for each episode. I like it. Yeah. Good. So this week's quote of the week comes from Letter 182, uh, written in 1956, to Anne Barrett of Houghton Mifflin Co., which <clears throat> I thought was appropriate since, um, since the, you know, here's my first edition right here of the Silmarillion, and it's got... Huffton Mifflin right there. Oh, that's cool. Yep. I didn't on know the, you had a whoop, first edition. Right, there we go. See? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the first edition, it was actually, you know, this book was actually on my parents' bookshelf since I was a little kid. Oh, my so gosh. So I remember just seeing this name, J.R.R. Tolkien, and seeing this book on that bookshelf with the Silmarillion. This, this is the one, right? So uh, seeing it sitting on that bookshelf and just wondering, like, you know, what is that book? And then when I read The Hobbit, I was like, what's the Silmarillion? And I just, it seemed, I can remember it, that name just seeming so bizarre to me. Like, what is that? Right? Yeah. And then reading Lord of the Rings and being like, still, what is the Silmarillion? So little, what little did I know, right? Little did I know the destiny that the Silmarillion, that, that, that I was on a date. I was on a crash course with destiny when it came to the Silmarillion. So, yeah. I'm trying to figure out this cover. I you what know I don't I don't know but I think it's um there's the cover right there. I think it's I think it's actually supposed to to me it looks like a scene from the hobbit, right? I think mm-hmm. it might be a scene from the hobbit where they're up in the misty mountains, right? And the storms going on. Yes. Um but yeah, it's a good question. I don't know for sure. Anyway, let's talk about this quote of the week. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. <clears throat> so here we go. I shall certainly now, if I am allowed, publish the parts of the great history that was written first and rejected. But the, to me, very surprising success of The Lord of the Rings will probably cause that rejection to be reconsidered. Though I do not think it could have the appeal of The Lord of the Rings, no hobbits. Mm-hmm. So we, have, we see here that Tolkien himself recognized one of the chief problems that the Silmarillion would face when it came to the general public, which is no hobbits. No hobbits. So... Let's just say that from the very start, for those of you who are new to the Silmarillion, you're not going to find any hobbits in the Lord of the Ring in uh, the Silmarillion. Now, you will find them within the confines of this book, but not in the Silmarillion itself. The Silmarillion um, proper, as right. you will, as we will come to refer to it, we'll explain why that's true here in just a few moments. Okay, so you want to read the Silmarillion. If you have any interest in Middle Earth, it's only natural. Especially for those who have completed The Lord of the Rings, no small feat in and of itself, it's the most logical next step, right? You've read The Hobbit. If you haven't read Lord of the Rings and you read Lord of the Rings, 
if you've read both, then you need to read The Silmarillion, right? That's the next logical step. However, if you're expecting a story like The Lord of the Rings, you've probably already figured out that The Silmarillion ain't it. In fact, you won't even encounter a familiar species until several chapters in, and when you do, it will likely be several more chapters until you finally get a grasp on what's actually happening. Is this a sales pitch? Because if it is, it's failing. Okay, well, it's, I mean, no, it's a It's a sobering. <laughs> I know, I was being it's silly. It's not a sales pitch. I know, I was being silly. It's a sales pitch for listening to this podcast, right, and, and getting yourself beefed up because it's challenging, right? It is very challenging, yeah. Here's our promise to you. Here comes the sales pitch. If you'll stick with us on this journey over the next several months, it will all start to make sense, and eventually you will see how it all connects to The Lord of the Rings as well as The Hobbit and makes the experience of reading them both remarkably richer, right? So... Uh, Greta, I mean, yeah. would you uh, would you concur with that? Like, you know, having gone through the podcast the first time around yourself mm-hmm. as a having and you never read the Silmarillion at that point, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, y- did you come to did you come to appreciate and understand the Silmarillion through that journey? Would you say through the journey of, of the podcast? Of the po- oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how many people have we heard from over the last seven years about you know being being able to finally kind of make it through the Silmarillion and really understand the Silmarillion mm-hmm. after listening to our first go through. Yeah, yeah. a lot. A lot of you, because it's not, it's not an easy read. Yeah. It's really not. It's not a, you know, definitely not a beach read. Mm-hmm. And um, I would argue it's also not really a um, curl up by the fire and drinking a glass of wine read either. Like You kind of got to be on your game yeah. when you're reading the Silmarillion. Although I want to take issue with something you said. Yeah. I think I think Olmo would say it is a beach read. Oh, that's actually so, probably true. Olmo would say Olmo. it is a beach read. Uh, as, yeah. As well as um, those who were inspired to build large kingdoms because of being close to the water and hearing the the, the mystical sounds that's of Olmo. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so, you know, for me, I wanted to read The Silmarillion from the moment I finished Lord of the Rings. And I can remember picking picking this very book right here this copy right here, uh, taking it off of my parents' bookshelf after reading Lord of the Rings. This is probably back in 2001. And starting out and just being like, getting into Ainu Lindale and just being like, uh, first of all, what is the Ainu Lindale? And um, what is going on? This is all about some music. Like, There's nothing here that is relatable to me from a Lord of the Rings or Hobbit perspective, mm-hmm. right? I don't recognize... I, I even was like, okay, maybe I'll look at the map and maybe this will help me get get it all figured out here. And I open up the map and it's just like, that's not Middle Earth. I don't know what this Balerian place is, but this that's not Middle Earth, you know? I don't know what's going on here. So it's all, it, you know, you're like, oh, great, I want to read the, you know, this prequel to uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And you very quickly find out that this is... This is not like watching the prequels for Star Wars, right? Um, where you know you immediately meet a younger version of Obi Wan Kenobi, right? Um, there's literally nobody who you even recognize, no place names that you tend to recognize for a long time. There are a couple of very minor exceptions in Valaquenta, the second section of the book, but even there, it's brief. It's just brief, right? It's very brief, uh, and you don't actually you know, see some of those characters come back until much later. Okay. So this is a challenge, right? It is a challenge. I know it. I've been there. Greta's been there. And 
together. We're going to make it through and we're really mm-hmm. going to enjoy reading this and you guys are going to love it, right? There's yeah. so much good stuff in the Silmarillion. So it's a challenge, but it's so worth it. And you'll get bragging rights. Yeah, too. you will. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've you know mentioned that I read the Silmarillion to and they're like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And And here's the thing. You want to read it now because within, by this time next year, this thing called Latron Prime is going to have happened, right? That's how we refer to it here on the Tolkien Road. Lord of the Rings on Prime, it's going to have happened, and everyone is going to think they know all this stuff about the early history of Middle-earth, and you're going to be like, well, actually, it happened this way, because you've read the Silmarillion already, Mm -hmm. right? So um, for those of you who are here for the very noble and virtuous reason that you want to beef up on all of this before Latron Prime hits, right? You want to understand the background of that show before it hits the screen. Welcome, right? This will be a very worthwhile endeavor as we journey towards September 2nd, 2022. So, and for those of you who will be journeying through the Silmarillion again, we're glad you're back, right? Absolutely. We're glad you're back. Or if this, I mean, this may be the first time listening to the podcast, but you're reading it again, right? You know, there's some of you may have read it dozens of times. We have plenty of listeners who have done that, right? Uh, You know, this is, you know, they've, they told us like they listened to our podcast, even though they'd read the Silmarillion many times, and they really enjoyed just kind of having our perspective and the discussion, right? Um, and that's one thing that we're all about on this this show, right? Is we want discussion, we want conversation. Most of our episodes are going to be us talking to the microphone, having a conversation about these things together. But we love the correspondence, and that's oh, yeah. partly why we're doing this live stream Q and A once a month now. Is we want to open it up for those, uh, you know, for those who are patrons to really join in the conversation with us, right? Uh, oh, yeah, live. Absolutely. So, yeah. And it's we're going to structure it, those conversations that way where we're going to kind of look back at the previous month's episodes and we're going to, that's going to be the, the oh, focus, right? Cool. Now, not to say we won't maybe bring up some other interesting letters, but that's going to be the focus for mm-hmm. us. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about some background of the Silmarillion. So, the Silmarillion was published in 1977, four years after Tolkien's death and over two decades after The Lord of the Rings and four decades after The Hobbit. However, its genesis predates both works, going all the way back to World War I and perhaps even before that. Right? What we have with The Silmarillion is not so much one co- cohesive epic as it is a loosely connected collection of stories taking place within the same secondary world, the world that we know as Middle-earth. Though Tolkien had hoped to publish the Silmarillion during his lifetime, he was not able to see it to completion. And after his death in 1973, his son Christopher worked to complete the Silmarillion, and what we hold in our hands as the Silmarillion is the result of that editorial process. All right, so let's break that down a little bit, kind of rehash rehash that briefly, all right? The Silmarillion, published after Tolkien's death in 1977. But it is actually the earliest of all of the Middle Earth works, right? It's the earliest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's the beginnings of it actually go back to twenty years before the publication of the Hobbit, right? And 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 predate the publication of Lord of the Rings by uh, close to four decades, right? So the Silmarillion is really this collection of stories that that bookends Tolkien's creative life, right? Um, it, it's it's the early stories, but it is the stories. Um, w- what we see here is the stories he came up with as he was working out the background mythology for this thing called Middle Earth, right? And you know when you read Lord of the Rings, when you read The Hobbit, and it feels like there's like this incredible background, there's this incredible history to it all that goes way back. That's why, right? Mm-hmm. 
because he had because there was like he had worked out all of these legends, the details of all of these legends, you know, uh, at as he was creating before he created the stories, as he was creating the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and he continued to work them out afterwards. Right, he did hope to have it published in his lifetime. It just never happened. And so Christopher, who is um, one of his children, Christopher Tolkien published uh, the Silmarillion in 1977. He had to do this very heavy-duty work of going through his father's papers and really compiling them. And he knew the stories pretty well already, right? He he was, you know, he and his father had talked about these stories. He had grown up with these stories. But he was able to take them with the help of a uh, writer named Guy Gabriel Kay and a young writer at that time uh, who was still a fantasy writer in his own right. He was able to take those stories and kind of edit them into what we have in uh, The Silmarillion, okay? So... That's that's some background published in 1977 after Tolkien died in 1973. That's what we have with this book, The Silmarillion, how we got it. All right. Any questions on that, Greta? No, I'm good. All right. Thanks. So let's talk about the contents now. It's important to note that we are going to be working from the second edition of The Silmarillion, which is the most recent. So this is the first edition right here, all right, that I have right here, um, the one originally published in 1977. However... There is a second edition, and that is the one that you probably have, um, unless you've been lucky enough to come across mm -hmm. a first edition mm -hmm. copy. Um, the second edition, however, um, has some, you know, some minor, some some changes to it. Mm -hmm. Nothing too major in terms of the content, um, but there is one very important thing that's added into the second edition, and that is the Waldman letter. More on that in just a bit. Oh. All right. Um, so you're looking at the table of contents. Greta, let's maybe open it up on the table right here if we can oh, make some yes. room here. Okay. Watch out for that microphone. All right. So our table of contents. And this is also available in paperback. It is right? it is available in paperback. Okay. Yeah, the one I have, the one we're using right here, it's I'm using a hardcover because I have it and it's really nice mm -hmm. and um, it's easier to lay out like this on a table, right? Yeah. It doesn't want to close back up. But not easier to read laying in bed. Not easier to read laying in bed, although there are some great, so the art, there. this is an illustrated version, um, not like a graphic novel, but it has illustrations in it, and um, the illustrations are done by noted Tolkien artist, uh, Ted Naismith, so very, you know, this is a good copy to get if you want yourself a nice hardcover uh, edition of The Silmarillion. I will link to it in the show notes. So, all right, there's a lot in this table of contents, okay? Um Really, two pages worth, two good pages worth that we're looking at. Now, I want you all to think about the table of contents in terms of kind of three groups. All right. We have the introductory material that includes these forwards, right? So, forward and then the preface to the second edition, and then this uh, from a letter by J.R.R. Tolkien. All right. So, that's the introductory material. Um, in this edition right here, because it has illustrations, there's also a list of illustrations in it. That's not going to be in the ones if it doesn't have illustrations, obviously. The next section, so that's so the, we have first section would be the introductory material. The second section would be the stories, mm -hmm. and so that's going to be everything starting where it says Ainulindale, right? And that's how that's how you say that word. That's how you hear me say it. Although there, there are people who would say it differently, but I say Ainulindale, and then you go all the way through, and let's jump down all the way to of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. All right, so that is kind of the the main chunk of the the main narrative chunk, right, of the story, the content, all right, um, of of the Silmarillion. 
Anulin Delay all the way through of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. So we'll just call that the stories. All right. Okay. Uh, and so that's going to be the main focus mm-hmm. over the next several months of this podcast, right? We're going to go through those those chapter by chapter and really dig in deep and have fun exploring them. And then we've got supporting materials, right? So supporting materials. So after that, where it says tables, you have genealogies, you have five different genealogies. We'll talk about those on this episode and, and how how to understand and how those are useful. Uh, then we have this table called the Sundering of the Elves. That one is really useful, actually. That's that's probably the one that I referred to the most when I when I was first reading this and kind of trying to get my my mind wrapped around this. That is really helpful for understanding elves, mm-hmm. right? Really hel- helpful table for understanding just the basics about elves. And then we have notes on pronunciation or note on pronunciation, index of names, and then appendix elements in Quenya and Sindarin names. Okay. So that's all supporting materials, right? All that stuff from tables on to the end is what I'd refer to as supporting materials. So we got group one or section one, introductory material, section two, the stories, section three, supporting material. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Yeah. Makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. Um, so we're going to spend the rest of this episode dealing with the introductory and supporting materials, kind of ground ourselves with those, understand how they're helpful, get them out of the way. Uh, but let's take a few minutes real quick just to consider the meat of the book, right? What's in section two, the stories. All right. So in most print editions I've seen, you'll see things organized such that Anu Lindale, Valaquenta, Akalabaith, and the Rings of Power and the Third Age stand apart from the rest of the text with this thing called Quintus Silmarillion headlining 24 distinct chapters. All right? Um, so what? let's talk about what those are. The first thing, Anu Lindale. All right? Anu Lindale is the creation story of Middle-earth. That's what we're going to discuss on the next episode. Okay? Uh, it is truly one of my favorite things Tolkien wrote, and it is very fascinating. Okay? Um, the basic idea there is that Middle Earth is made of music, right? Middle Earth is made of music. Made of music or from music or both? Maybe both. Okay. Definitely from music. I would go so far as to say made of music, right? Okay. We'll talk about that more on the next episode. Valaquenta. Valaquenta catalogs some of the most important characters in the early chapters of the Silmarillion. Okay. So it's not so much a story as it is kind of a... A, an explanation. It's like an essay on some of the different uh, characters that we're going to meet, some of the different species of characters that we're going to mm. meet early on in the Silmarillion. Then uh, jumping down, we'll come back to Quintus Silmarillion, jumping down, a Calabath. This tells the story of Middle-earth's second age and the downfall of Numenor. So heads up to all of you folks who are here because you're excited about Lord of the Rings on Prime. 
Okay. A Kalabath is a must read, right? Mm-hmm. You have to read a Kalabath to understand the story of the second age and the rings of power. And or, I'm sorry, of, um, of Lord of the Rings on prime. Okay. That is the main text for understanding the, the history of Numenor. Uh, we won't be getting to really diving into a Calabath until much later. Um, you know, in terms of our reading schedule, because it does come very late in the book. But for um, a little taste, we did do a, a yes, a little bit of a reread. Good point. We've done actually plenty of episodes on a Calabath. We mm-hmm. we did a reread earlier this year where Greta uh, Greta kind of led the charge. You know, we never really did your second part. We of never that, did it, so. and I kind of told some people we were going to. So <laughs> maybe, now I feel maybe bad. we'll do that as a bonus episode <laughs> at some point. Um, but we did. Um, we have we did our first read through of the of a Calabath. If you just can't wait and you want to go back and listen to that, it's it's way back. I'll try to remember to link to that. And we've also I have a collection of several um, several episodes on our YouTube page, and you can go back into our into our um, podcast feed as well. But we've done several just on the on the second age in general. We uh, we actually did a, a Calabath reread a few years ago where it was four parts. And we've done lots of other episodes on the Second Age and the lore of the Second Age and the history of the Second Age. So mm-hmm. we've got plenty of content back from the past on on this mm-hmm. topic if you want to beef up on if that. If you want to, you know, whet your appetite. Absolutely. Get- Absolutely. You know, if, if, you, if you have trouble finding it, feel, feel free to reach out to us. So, um, and I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. So uh, easiest place to go to is probably like Twitter or Facebook or just email us, whatever, right? Or go onto YouTube, right? Go onto YouTube and uh, and drop me a comment. You can usually search for just search for Tolkien Road, a Calabath, or something like that, and it'll probably come up. Uh, and then of the Rings of Power in the Third Age, this is this is a pretty interesting one. It gives a relatively short account of the creation of the Rings of Power all the way through the destruction of the One Ring at the end of the Third Age. So this is like almost like a um, a bird's eye view of the entire story of the Rings from when the Rings were created all the way to uh, to the One Ring's destruction mm-hmm. at Mount Doom, right? So, and it's and it's the kind of thing you can read in one or two sittings. It's a pretty short version of it. So that one's pretty fun, especially you know, especially if you're coming to the Silmarillion having just read the Lord of the Rings, you're probably really going to enjoy uh, reading of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, now let's go back to this thing, Quintus Silmarillion, right? Where we've got twenty four chapters. All right, um, so Quintus Silmarillion is. Basically, that that's really what the Silmarillion is, right? When we when we talk about when when Tolkien would have been talking about the Silmarillion, that's that's the main thing he would have been referring to. Is this it's this saga? It's this collection of stories that kind of presents this history of these things called the Silmarils. Um, it it's going to tell everything from the first awakening of the elves. Uh, to the creation of the three Silmarils, the numerous wars that result over them, and the coming of men into the world, and really so much more. I mean, it's it's not just one story, but it's kind of a collection of many stories that t- that are part of a larger saga. All right, and, and you know, the comparison has been made to the Old Testament before because it's that same kind of thing, right? Some of these you know different characters can be involved. It covers a long period of history, um, but you know, it's all really telling. It's all part of kind of one big story. Right. Yeah. It's just not always necessarily easy to see how it all connects until later. Right. Um, the the Silmarils. Let's define that real quick. All right. The Silmarils. There's three of them mm-hmm. and they are these holy jewels. We're going to learn a lot more about them, but they are essentially um, these three jewels that contain a blessed light and 
at some point, this blessed light becomes something that's no longer available, right? And so the three Silmarils are the only way of getting access to this holy light, right? Um, so that might seem all very like hard to understand if you're coming to this new, like what what's this big deal about holy light? Uh, but we'll understand that, right? We're going to get into mm-hmm. all that and what that's all about uh, once we get into these stories. So the title being the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. is that kind of, I'm just trying to think of the connection, obviously. It comes like Silmaril is part of Silmarillion. Yeah. So can we kind of translate Silmarillion as like the tale of the Silmarils or? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Now, now that might not be the exact translation. One thing you need to remember, mm. one thing you need to remember about Tolkien is he was a philologist. Right. He, um, he loved language. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, he was a philologist in terms of loving language. And literally, he was a philologist in terms of that was his profession, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he, he loved language and uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if that's the exact translation mm-hmm. of the Silmarillion, but I think that's a good way of referring to it, right? It's like okay. of the Silmarils or of the, the Silmarils. tale, okay. the tale of the Silmarils, okay. right? Yeah. So yeah. Good question. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah. I was like, was basically it's Silmaril with I-O-N on the end. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to figure out what I-O-N, like how that, what the relation of the ending to the word Silmaril is, like yeah. how it relates but clearly i mean the silmarils are kind of the focus of most of the stories they're what all the trouble is about indeed yeah indeed and they're beautiful so i mean it makes sense however they don't show up until several chapters in so (laughs) you got to be committed people (laughs) you do you're gonna find that's a theme this is this is a story that you got to be committed you got to be kind of committed to getting into it but once you get into it and you commit it's worth it right totally worth it and here's the thing how much in life is that true of? Oh, so right? much. Yep. The really so worthwhile true. things you got to commit to. And mm-hmm. once you commit to them, you're happy you did. Uh, right? Absolutely. It's a worthy cause. Amen. Yes. All right. So um, let's go back to this thing called the Waldman letter. Um, so this is, go- this is really helpful in terms of introducing uh, some of the themes. Um actually let me circle back first to this introduction to our forwards right to our forward to the first edition our forward to the second edition the forward from the first edition is written by christopher um i want to read this opening paragraph from actually i'm gonna read it over here i want it this is a better place to read it here we go all right this is from the first edition this is from the first edition right so not the edition we're working out of well it's also in that oh it's It's in in both both, right but it was it was part of the first edition gotcha okay um, so Christopher says, The Silmarillion, now published four years after the death of its author, is an account of the Elder Days, or the First Age of the World. In The Lord of the Rings were narrated the great events at the end of the Third Age, but the tales of the Silmarillion are legends deriving from a much deeper past, when Morgoth, the first Dark Lord, dwelt in Middle-earth, and the High Elves made war upon him for the recovery of the Silmarils. All right, so break down a little bit of that for you. That's a really good little summary of of the Silmarillion, okay? Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, take place at the end of the Third Age of Middle-earth, okay? This 3,000-year period called the Third Age. Numenor, the history of Numenor, that is going to be the focus of Lord of the Rings. That's the Second Age. That's when the Rings of Power were created, okay? Um... And the end of this, so the beginning of the second age is the creation of Numenor, right? The end of the second age is 
the the downfall of Numenor, along with the last alliance of men and elves, right? So the the first defeat, the first defeat of Sauron, uh, really not the first defeat, but one of the defeats of Sauron where he loses the One Ring, right? He loses the One Ring, and we think he's he's vanquished, um, and the One Ring comes into the possession of Isildur, right? Mm-hmm. So you know that bit of legend from that bit of the legend from Lord of the Rings, okay? So Third Age, end of Third Age, Lord of the Rings, end of Second Age kind of the inciting action of the Lord of the Rings. Um, first age is what the Silmarillion is all about. Okay. Um, Morgoth. All right. Who's this guy, Morgoth? Because you thought Sauron was the bad guy, right? You thought Sauron was the bad guy of Middle-earth. Sauron is a... will show up in the Silmarillion, but he is a lieutenant of Morgoth, right? He is, he is a... He learned everything he knows from Morgoth. Okay, Morgoth will not be known as Morgoth until well into the Silmarillion. Before that, he is going to be known as Melkor. All right, you're gonna we're gonna meet him in Andalindale as Melkor. Okay, Melkor slash Morgoth is the chief bad guy of the Silmarillion. Okay, makes yes. sense. Makes sense. All right. Yep. So, yes, uh, and the chief creatures that we're going to uh they're going to kind of be in focus in all of this are the elves right so you know men will come to figure in it but not until much later not until much later in the silmarillion okay um christopher also notes in this forward uh he he talks a lot about the challenges he faced so this is kind of interesting from a textual history not something you need to spend any time on or get tripped up by unless you're super curious okay uh, but basically, he explains that putting this thing together was no easy feat. All right. Um, what you'll learn about Tolkien as you learn more about him is that he was incredible. He was an incredible genius, and like many incredible geniuses, he was extremely disorganized. Right. He was he was kind of like maybe not extremely disorganized because he was organized enough to to have these papers in a place where his son could work with them. Right. Uh, but he wrote a lot. Right. He wrote a lot, mm-hmm. and he wrote many different like versions of these stories. And so Christopher had to like go back and put together in some cases like the best versions of the stories, right? Um, so, um, but one thing to note is that everything that's included in here is according to his father's explicit intention, right? Christopher says that, that all works included are according to J.R.R. Tolkien's explicit intention. So it wasn't like he was just throwing things in. Like it wasn't like he decided to throw in a Calabath because he felt like you know, it belonged in there. That was that was his father's intention. So, um, second edition forward, really very short. Uh, basically, he just gives a little background on why this introduction was added, this Waldman letter, as we're going to discuss. Uh, the basic story, in 1951, as Tolkien was finalizing Lord of the Rings, he was hoping to find a publisher who would agree to issue both Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion. And so he basically told the entire history of Middle-earth from the very beginning all the way to the end in this letter. Okay? In the Waldman letter? In the Waldman letter. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Now, what we have in the Waldman letter is not the entire Waldman letter. All right? So what we have in this introduction right here is not the entire Waldman letter. You can read the entire Waldman letter if you get letters, the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. This bad boy right here, which I highly recommend. Okay? Um, one of my favorite... Tolkien books for sure. It's more than just a reference. There's some just so so good, so good. If you want to understand the mind of Tolkien, you need the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. The Waldman letter contained in its entirety there. And here, it's really just focused on the first and second ages. All right, so it stops when he gets to the third age. Okay. Um, Waldman was uh, worked for Collins Publishers, who uh, uh, was was one of the publishers that he was talking to about publishing Lord of the Rings, and and that, so he was hoping to say, hey, you know, here's my Hobbit sequel. By the way, I'd really like it if you'd publish the Silmarillion along with it, and here's why you should. Right? Obviously, it didn't work out. Um, now publishers might look back and say, well, kind of wish I'd kind of wish I had oh, done yeah. that. Right. Hindsight is 2020. Um, yeah. but yeah, you roll the dice. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. So the whole letter is quite worthwhile, but let's talk about, um, let's talk about something that I think is really important in this letter. And that's the themes. Okay. The themes that he calls out in this letter. There are three themes, three key themes of the Silmarillion. The first theme is fall. Tolkien says that fall occurs in several modes. So we should understand this as having to do with a fall from grace or from an exalted state or a happy moral state. There are numerous instances of characters falling. Sometimes the fall is from goodness into a state of evil. Sometimes it's, it's an impatient presumption, perhaps more understandable and defensible, yet with real consequences nevertheless. Always we find Tolkien exploring how even the fall can be worked by good powers to bring about a happy outcome, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So Tolkien's universe, although very dark, is not a fundamentally pessimistic universe, okay? This, this is something I really want to emphasize because I think there's a lot of fan, the, a lot of the popular fantasy of our time tends to be very pessimistic, mm. right? It tends to be very like focused on the violent, on the nihilistic, mm-hmm. and... I will say it. I'm looking at you, Game of Thrones. Although I will say I don't know much about Game of Thrones, but everything I understand about it and what I've been told by others is that it is very nihilistic and pessimistic. And I'm not there to put it down. I'm not there to say that there's no like you know that that's that we're not we're not getting into an ethical discussion or a moralistic discussion about that. All I'm saying is that you need to understand that Tolkien's universe is not like that. Okay, Tolkien's universe, though often very dark, though often very violent, though often very brutal, is a fundamentally hopeful universe Mm -hmm. okay well it has to be right because i mean if you listen to any of our episodes or know even a little bit about tolkien you're familiar with the idea of you catastrophe right yep so i mean that's got that was just a fundamental piece of his um what of his storytelling yeah yeah for sure for sure well uh while we're at it greta tell tell the uh listeners what you catastrophe is 
Uh, catastrophe, simply uh, put, is uh, translated as the happy turn. Yeah. Right? Um, it's just when, you know, it's the whole... When everything looks like it's done and and the it seems like the evil and darkness is going to prevail, it's the happy turn, right? Yeah. Um it's the it's the light shining through the darkness. And um I the believe happy catastrophe. The happy catastrophe. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think uh Tolkien himself says that the greatest you catastrophe of of history is the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, just when it appears that, you know, that all is lost, God is dead, you know, we have Easter. So, yeah, I mean, that can't, you you can't, uh, I mean, that's just a fundamental piece of, of, of Tolkien's creations. It, you're, you're 100% right. And so as you read, as you read Tolkien, I'd encourage you to read it through that lens, mm-hmm. right? So, um, it, it is it is a universe that even when things seem dark, even when things things seem like they're you know it's just tragedy or you know evil is winning out, that somehow good will come. Right. Right. The good will come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And in some ways, that's kind of the challenge. It, I'd say Tolkien might even have seen it this way: that the challenge of the fantasy writer, in his mind, the writer of the fairy tale, the challenge is to get their protagonist into such a mess. That it's like, how can they possibly escape from this, right? Right. You right. know, and you're just like, well, they're done. They're toast, right? And then here come the eagles. Yep. Right? And then here come the eagles. Yep. Swooping in. All right. Um, we're going to learn about a lot about eagles on this, y'all. We're going to learn a lot Yay. about eagles. Mortality. Second theme, mortality. He says, especially as it relates to creative desire. So why do we have this impulse to create? Why does it often seem to lead to a spirit of possessiveness? Um, This will also be manifest in the immortality of elves and the mortality of men. Why these two paths for uh, creatures that are so similar? Is immortality really the favored gift that we mortals often think it would be? So Mm -hmm. there's a couple of aspects to this with what Tolkien says. First of all, we have elves and men. Elves, immortal. By nature. Now, that doesn't mean they can't die. It just means that they won't naturally die, right? right? right. Uh, men, not so much, as we all know, right? Tolkien, it, there's a bit of a speculative idea in this, right? Like, what would it be like if we did live forever, right? If we were immortal creatures, okay? Um, and Tolkien explores that idea, and he mm-hmm. finds that, well, actually, in a fallen world, it may not be the blessing that you think it is, right? right? Yeah. In a mm-hmm. fallen world, it may not be the blessing that you think it is. So there's a lot of that tension that Tolkien is exploring with this. And then under this sub under this theme of mortality is this question, this question of like the creative desire, right? Why do we have this impulse to create? And I, I think Tolkien's getting it's maybe a few things with this, right? Um, he wants to, he wants us to understand, like, first of all, where does this like kind of creative desire come from? Right. If we live in a universe that's like brutal and just kind of like beholden to nature, Right, just just purely beholden to like kind of nature and and death and and the rule of death. Then why do we have this desire to create? Right? Why do we have this impulse to want to leave behind beautiful things, to want to make the world a more beautiful place? Um, and why does that often seem to lead to a spirit of possessiveness? Right? Mm-hmm. Why does that cause us to have this like selfish desire as a result? Um, the the 
the impulse of creativity, the, the philosophy of creativity is a very important one to Tolkien. He lived it because he, because he was incredibly creative. Um, he lived it throughout his life, but he also just wondered about why we have this and where it came from. One of the easiest things, one of the easiest ways to start with understanding his view on that is to understand that he viewed human beings as sub creators, right? Mm-hmm. That we make because we are, because we are made by the ultimate creator, right? We are made mm-hmm. to do so by the ultimate creator, right? So we are made right by God and he made us human beings specifically to have this similar creative desire that he has, right? Mm-hmm. That the, that, mm-hmm. that God, the, that the ultimate deity has, yeah. right? So we'll talk about that a lot and it actually works its way into the legendarium itself. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot about creativity within the story of the Silmarillion itself. Yes. So, and you think about this, the, the Silmarils being kind of the focus of all these stories, they themselves were created objects, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it all kind of fits together. And that whole theme of possessiveness yes, also comes up with exactly. the Silmarils, right? Exactly. Yep. And then finally, the third theme, uh, it re- actually kind of carries over from this theme of creativity, machine, um, or as Tolkien would say, would also refer to it magic, right? So machine is the modern form of magic. Um, here, magic is the shortcut opposed to true art. So, you know, when you think of true art, think of like elvish, like what the elves do, right? Like the elves, the elves seek to take the natural world and to develop it further and like to develop its nature further, right? Mm-hmm. In a very organic way that doesn't violate what what we've been given, right? Like what, what we've kind of found there, Okay. Whereas you think of like, you know, just think of like what Sauron does, right? Or Saruman when he's creating, um, you know, he's, he's creating the Urukai, right? Mm. He's, he's like... It's a mockery. Yeah, it, he's, he's mock, mocking things, right? Mm-hmm. He's, um, he's tearing down the natural world in order to do this. Mm-hmm. He's not beautifying the natural world. He's not further developing it. He's just tearing it up. Mm-hmm. He's burning it, mm-hmm. right? In order to make it fuel, right? Um, Tolkien was not a fan of cutting down trees, <laughs> um, so that that's maybe a little way to put this, but uh, he would have much preferred that like people built like cool like tree houses, tree palaces, right out of them, right. Um, so anyway, that's that's the idea here. We might also take this one step further and understand that Sauron, um, in creating the One Ring, right, creating his rings of power, that he was creating these machines. He was creating these magic machines that he could use mm. to manipulate and rule over people, mm. right. So tools of domination, okay? So the machine is the falsification of true art, right? And that it seeks to dominate. It doesn't seem to beautify, it doesn't seem to glorify and to bring, to, to further bring out the natural essence of a thing and beautify it, but to dominate it and okay. to use it for a means to further power, right? Yep. So, um, so those are the three themes that we're really looking at when we look at the Silmarillion. There's a whole lot more in this introduction um, if you're up for it, I highly recommend reading it before you dive into Ina Lindale, though don't feel like you have to. It can actually be a really good introduction to the history of the Silmarillion and kind of grounding yourself in it. But again, if you're just the type of person who doesn't want to sp- spend your time with an essay before you dive into this, you can always come back to it later too. Um, we will be referring to it frequently, like just different parts parts of it throughout because it, it, there's some clarifying statements that you know that, that Tolkien makes throughout it that really You're talking help. about the Waldman letter. The Waldman so, letter, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, do what you will with it. If you're the type of person that just wants to dive right into the stories, go for it. If you want to read the Waldman letter, it's worth your time. Personally, I'm a dive right in kind of person. Yeah, 
I think most people probably are. Mm-hmm. I think I probably I think I probably do right in the first time I read it. But then when I went back went back and read this thing, I was like, this is awesome. So, all right. Um, so let's jump ahead to the supporting material. So that's the introductory material. Let's now look at the supporting material. Appendices and references. All right. So we've got um, five tables, or really six tables, if you count the um, the the elves table as uh, one of those. So let's jump ahead here. And these are on the back. These are in the back after okay. the main chunk of the stories. Gotcha. All right. Mm. We got to kind of turn That's it this right. way, Greta. Yes, we do. All right. So the first table that you're going to see is Fenway, right? The House of Fenway and the Noldoran descent of Elrond and Elros. Okay. Hey, you recognize the name there? Elrond. Oh. Right? You see Elrond. Yep. By the way, look up where it says Elrond at the bottom of the page, bottom right of the page there. Go up about uh, 10 to maybe 1 o'clock from there. Follow it up, and you see another name you're going to recognize. Gladriel, right? So two names you recognize right there, okay? Um, We have Elrond and Gladriel on this table. So this shows that both Elrond and Gladriel are descended from an individual named Fenway. All right? Fenway is the king of is the high king of a group of elves called the Noldor. All right, he's the he's the high king of a group of elves called the Noldor, and um, we're going to learn a lot about the Noldor. The Noldor are kind of the main group of elves, uh, along with the Sindarin, that we're going to be very focused on in this story. We're going to learn where the Noldor come from, mm-hmm. what their tendencies are, and we're going to learn a lot about uh, many Noldor. Okay, all right. Um, the next table we have here is uh, the descendants of Olway and Elway. All right, so these are what a group of elves called the Teleri. Okay, the Teleri at some point split into the Teleri and the Sindarin. Okay, um, you will also see here that Elrond is in this table as well, as is Galadriel. As is Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and you'll look down a little further and. Who do we see there? Arwen. And? Aragorn. What? Boom. We know them. Yeah, we know them. Okay. So, you're starting to see how, okay, it, okay, I can see this This is like an ancient history of like actual mm-hmm. characters that I already do know. All right. So, yep. there you go. Um, all right. Table three here. Move your- uh, I know. My cord my, is head, just kind Headphone of cord here. There we go. Right. There we go. Yeah. All right. So table three is the House of Beor and the Mortal Descent of Elrond and Elros. Okay, so again, we're getting a lot of history on where Elrond came from. Beor is a man. Okay, Beor is a mortal. And he is uh, one of the heads of the great houses of men that come into the story later on in the Silmarillion. Okay, um, and Elrond is descended from him as well. Oh, there you go. <clears throat> right? Because remember, Elrond is half elven. Elrond is half elf, half human, half man, right? So that shows his uh, descent from the uh, the men's side. I also, real quick, want to mention that in both of those last two tables that you mentioned, there's mm-hmm. also Luthien. Luthien, yes. Who, if you are familiar with John's first book, mm-hmm. Um, is your first one, yeah? Yep. Yep. That which is focused on the story of Baron and Luthien, and that's another name that you would know. Boom. Also my favorite story in the Silmarillion. Yes. Well, yes. mine too, and it's a great story. I can't wait till we get to it. It's yeah. gonna be a little while. 
Uh, but if you yeah, if you want to check out my book, it's called Tolkien's Requiem. It's also you know some people have actually used that as an uh, as an introduction into the world of the Silmarillion because it kind of collect, connects a lot of the threads mm-hmm. and a, and it's a very short read. So um, yeah, you can you can actually uh, get a copy of that if you sign up at the five dollar level um, on Patreon, and um, or you can uh, buy a copy of it from TrueMissPress dot com. Um, or it's available on Amazon. Shameless so. self promotion. Well, you did it. I did. Yeah. I totally opened the door. You I opened o- the door to it. I own it. that. I own it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well done. All right. Well done, Greta. All right. Table four: the House of Hador of Dorlomin. Uh, and this is, uh, and then we also have five: the people of Haleth, the Haladen of Brethil. Um, so it's not explicitly called out here, but we see Earendil there at the very bottom of this table, and Earendil is the um, is the f- uh, father of Elrond, right? So uh, that's how this all connects to everything else. But this is another table of men here as well. All right. This last table we have is uh, is kind of different from the other tables in that it's not like a direct descent. But what this does is it shows all of the different names of the groups of elves and it's how they relate helpful. to one another. It is very helpful. Very helpful. It's going to look like gibberish at first, but let's break it down. All right, the Quindy. Quindy is the overall name for the elves. All right, they are the Quindy, all elves. They're broken out into two main groups, the Eldar on the left and the Avari on the right. The Avari and the Eldar are distinguished by what happens in one of the early chapters of the Silmarillion. The basic question, do they accept the summons to Valinor, or do they reject mm. the summons to Valinor? Okay. The Eldar accept the summons. The Avari reject the summons, right? So they are the unwilling. The Avari are the unwilling, and you can kind of see there's not a whole lot more said about them, right? Um, not not that there won't be more said about them, and there's not stuff said about them otherwise, but that's that's kind of where they're left behind. It's all It's all defined by what happens in terms of the journey to Valinor early in the book. The Eldar are broken out into three main groups. <clears throat> so these are the people that do that do accept the, the journey. They're broken out into the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri. Okay? Um, the Vanyar and the Noldor all eventually complete the journey to Valinor. The Teleri end up breaking into uh, some different groups. Okay? The Teleri, and they're actually a very large group of elves. Some of the Teleri do make the journey, right? They make they make the journey on uh, along with the Vanyar and the Noldor, and they arrive in the Blessed Realm. The groups of elves together that become that arrive in the Blessed Realm are the Calaquindi, right? That's why the Vanyar, the Noldor, and part of the Teleri kind of add up to that. Hmm. Elves of Light, that's what that means, literally. Elves of Light, the High Elves, they came to Amon in the days of the Two Trees. Now, let's go back up to the Teleri. The Teleri break up into those who become the Calaquindi, part of the Calaquindi, and then we have the Sindar, the Grey Elves. These are the elves that remained in Beleriand. Okay, they're going to play a big part in the story of the Silmarillion. And then we have the Nandor, those that left the march of the Teleri east of the Misty Mountains. <gasps> Misty Mountains! Hey, that's also something from that we recognize from, from Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. Yes. But the Nandor are... Um, they're they're left further behind, right? So, and and the Misty Mountains do not show up on that map, right? On of Beleriand, okay. Yep. Um. So 
they will come back into the story because they feed into much later on because they feed into the Lyquendi, the green elves of Assyriant, okay? And then the Umanyar, the Eldar who were not of Amon. Okay? So the Nandor are kind of interesting because we can think of them as, you know, the source for some of like many of the elves that maybe we don't like so so when we think of like um Legolas, for example, I'm kind of throwing this out there. I want to double check this because I didn't look this up beforehand, but I'm pretty sure Legolas and his father Thranduil are Nandor, right? That would make sense because they live east of the Misty Mountains in the Third mm. Age. So I'm double checking it here using trusty resource of uh, Lord of the Rings wiki. Uh, let's see here. They're sometimes referred to um, as the Sylvan Elves, right? Um, and looking for Legolas's name, not seeing him there. Let's look up Legolas. So all of these groups, they were, or the Sindar and the Nandor, they both left. The, the they they both quit the journey. They both quit the journey, but at different points. At different points, that's okay. correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so let's see here. Thranduil. Uh, yeah. Thranduil was the only son of Orofer, king of the woodland realm. He was born during the first age and lived in Doriath at the, some point prior to the second kinsling. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't spell out whether he's a Nandor, but I'm pretty sure he is. Um, of course, we got our uh, live Q&A and we got our correspondence mm-hmm. to correct me. You're going to hear me say that a lot because there's so much, there's so much, um, lore there's so much to this legendarium that there's often things that even i knew at one point and i've forgotten or i'm just not Mm. sure if i'm getting that quite right so and it's important to me to make sure we get it right so help me out if uh if i'm wrong about that all right so that is the table of the elves so this this relates to the sundering of the the chapter the this or wait, is this the Sundering This is of just the, the name of the table. The Sundering of the Elves oh, and some so of their the names of the given elves to is their actually divisions. not a chapter <clears throat> right. in the book. Okay. So, by the way, so we have Cal- it all kind of winds up. Caliquindy are those who make the journey because they're the Elves of the Light. We're going to understand why that is. And then we're going to understand why, uh, and we'll understand at the same time, the Moraquindy, which means the Elves of the Darkness, right? That doesn't mean they're evil. That just means that they don't have the light they didn't enter into the light that's right land of light that's right i mean just going over this table is making me really glad that i'm gonna have you and the rest of our listeners with me yeah because just this one table is blowing my mind it does there's a lot to this table for sure Mm -hmm. and it's just the very 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 tip of the iceberg all right Uh, a couple of other useful things here in the supporting uh and and the supporting content we have note on pronunciation. Uh, so most names are not pronounced in a typically American or even British dialect, right? Uh, this guide will help you figure out the right way of saying certain names. So a good example would be Kirdon of the Grey Havens, right? Which is pronounced Kirdon, right? You might look at that and want to pronounce it as Sirdon, right? Mm-hmm. But it's actually Kirdon. Whenever you see a C by itself like that, it's pronounced as a hard, as a K sound, right? A K. Kirdon of the Grey Havens. So there's a lot of examples in here like that. It's worth just taking a few minutes and mm-hmm. and reading through this so you can understand how to pronounce uh, the names that you that you see throughout the story. Speaking of pronunciation, are you aware of a um, a good maybe audiobook of the Silmarillion? Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely the one on Audible, 
uh, I have one on Audible that okay. I listen to from time to time. I just find that helpful when I'm reading something where I feel like it's hard to pronounce yeah. names. No, I can't promise you that they pronounce everything well, correctly in that. Fair. Is the yeah, thing. That's so, um, but if I remember from what I listened to it before, it, I thought it was pretty accurate. Okay. So good to know. Um, and hey, at the end of the day, there's sometimes I could be wrong about certain things. So yeah. you know, I mean, pick your poison, people. Yeah. Well, I try to. I try really hard. I try really hard to get these you things do. right. You do. But sometimes it's even a little confusing with what's written in the yeah. in in these guides. But again, that's why we have you guys. That's right. We have lots of people that. That's why we have each other. One big happy fellowship. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right, and then we have an index of names. Uh, this is exactly what it says. Helpful for determining meanings of various names. Okay, so you can go in here and you can find. Let's see. For example. Minas Tirith, Tower of Watch. Mm, there you go. Okay. We have uh, Mithrandir, the Grey Pilgrim, a.k.a. Gandalf, right? So, yeah. cool things like that that can tell us the actual meanings of certain names and, and places. Yeah. And then the last thing is the appendix uh, elements in Quenya and Sindarin names. So this is if you really want to nerd out on languages, this is a good place to go, right? So... No book by Tolkien would be complete without something like this, right? Without a philology reference. So there you go. Boom. Awesome. Boom. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, maps. Maps. All right. So we've talked about the map already a little bit. Here's the deal. This map is of Beleriand. Your Beleriand is Middle Earth, okay? But it's not the Middle Earth you're familiar with. Mm. You'll understand how Beleriand re- relates to the west, rest of Middle Earth as you get into the story. You can see my map of the third age of Middle Earth behind me right here. Um, Beleriand lies to the west of what you see of Middle Earth, right? Now you're like, how can that be, right? Because it looks like it's continuous. Well, we'll find out why that is. All right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and it's and the map of Beleriand is not even going to be relevant until... Uh, in, is not going to be relevant in the first 10 chapters, right? There's a couple of parts where it actually is a little relevant early on, but it's not for very long. Most of the action in the first 10 chapters happens in this place called the Blessed Realm, and we don't have a map for that. We don't have an official map for that. However, we will provide some links in the show notes to show some uh, other artist's renderings of the Blessed Realm Mm. and maybe just kind of how the whole world looks at that point. Um and don't forget, there's this great reference called The Atlas of Middle-Earth by Karen Wynn Fonstad. And this thing is extremely useful. It's really well put together. I think it had Christopher Tolkien's blessing, um, but it's regardless, it is pretty accurate. And it and it does a great job of like showing uh, lots of locations throughout the first age. It's great, even if you're just a fan of the third age. I mean, there's like so many great maps in this thing. So I highly recommend picking up a copy. We'll also put a link to that in the show notes. So, Greta, yeah. that's it for the that's it for this introduction to the Silmarillion. All right. All your questions answered. Yep, and my appetite has been whetted. Your appetite has been whetted. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to hear. I feel ready. Right on. Ready to tackle the Silmarillion for the second time. Boom. Ready for this journey. This was a good refresher. On the next episode, we'll be diving into Ainulindale, the creation story of Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. And make sure to check out TolkienRoad.com for show notes and a whole bunch of very helpful links. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can check the, uh, you can check the um, 
the notes down there. And if, um, and if you're uh, looking at watching or listening on a podcast app, you can probably see a lot of the notes in there as well. Dude. So, yeah. We never did our Air 5. Yeah, well, you know, we weren't getting a lot of uh, back on uh, on our YouTube channel. So, you know. What? Yeah, it was an experiment. Okay. You know, we got a few over time. But uh, okay. if you want to bring it back, you just got to start doing, you got to start. Whoopsh, wow. Whoopsh, Throwing down, In Johnny. the uh, YouTube. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we try different things over the years. That so is experiments true. Experiments here and there, that see what people true. have fun with. Mm-hmm. Trial and error. And speaking of experiments, one thing we did for a long time that people really liked and we stopped doing it, we're going to start doing it again. Haiku. 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 So. Woohoo. I did a, I did a, you know, this is an intro, so, I, you know, this it wasn't really one I thought we would do like a big haiku, so I didn't ask Greta to do one for this week. Uh, but I did do one. I did do one just because I want to kind of set the haiku tone. So here you go. You ready for this, Greta? Mm-hmm. All right. The Silmarillion. Not an easy book to read. Challenge scripture-like. I thought Silmarillion was five syllables. The Silmarillion. Oh, I thought it was Silmarillion. Well, I'm speaking it American style here, so... <laughs> okay, we can just say Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Not an easy book to read. Challenge scripture-like. Boom. All right. Fixed. I'll accept it. I'll accept Very it. Very well. The International Haiku Authority has accepted my haiku. This is an acceptable haiku. Although I expect better next time. Very well. Yeah. Well, you better bring a pretty darn good one. I always If you want to start out all critical like that, I'm going to be critical back at you. Mm-hmm. Challenge accepted. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. You want your haiku read on a future episode? Hook us up with your haiku. Each episode, we'll be picking one out one lucky listener to have their haiku read on air. So go ahead and get them in ASAP. Oh, I'm so glad we're doing this again. Me too. Me yes. too. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. So the deadline for Anu Lindelay is January 5th, 2022. So this episode releases on January 3rd, though if you're watching on YouTube, you'll probably see it before then. Um, and our patrons will see it before then. So hook us up with your haiku, right? Uh, January 5th, 2022. Um, even, even if you're not sure, still try to get it in and we'll, you know, because we might not record that soon. Uh, and then our deadline for Valaquenta is January 9th, 2022, and we'll keep you posted as other deadlines come up. So cool beans. Just kind of stagger it based on a week after that. So probably the next one after that is uh, January 16th. And even if we don't get them in on that particular episode, we'll probably get them in on our live Q and A. Right? We'll probably try and do a uh, you know go back and look at some haiku on our live Q and A Q and A later. Cool, cool. Live haiku and A. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, y'all. So. Leave us a rating and review. Um, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or your or the platform of your choice. If you are a five-star fan of The Tolkien Road, you can really help us out by heading over to iTunes or your preferred source for the show and dropping us a rating and review. When you do that, it helps get the word out about The Tolkien Road, which helps us to keep on evering on. Um, and uh, correspondence. So we're going to save our correspondence. You know, In the past, we've done correspondence at the end of most episodes. In order to make sure we get these episodes really right, we have a time for we have time for we don't feel rushed. I want to say our correspondence, and um, you know I'm going to be like picking the best correspondence that we receive, and you know really saving that for our monthly discussions, right? So our monthly Q and A, and we're going to respond to mm. notes we receive and that kind of thing on the episode. I'm also going to do a better job of just keeping up with the shorter, nice notes that you guys send us and everything. You might make it on the air. You might not. But no matter what, we always appreciate it. And I, you know, Greta will tell you, I, we get 
awesome notes from people all the time yeah. that I just forward to her and I'm just like, this is an awesome note. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because it puts the wind in our sails to hear, really hear from you. It does. It really does. Uh, so yeah, drop us a line. You can correspond with us in a number of ways. YouTube comments on any episode, TolkienRoad.com comments in private contact form, email TolkienRoadPodcast at gmail.com, Twitter at TolkienRoad, and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to these live mm-hmm. Q and A episodes we do. So yes. let's let's make the correspondence awesome, folks. Let's do it. All right. Yes. Okay, so um, this month's live stream, I think right now, if I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. So I believe we have it scheduled for, uh, let's see here, the 19th. So Wednesday, the 19th of January at 7 p.m. Central Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern, um, 5 p.m. Pacific. And that's going to be our plan. Become a, If you want to join in that, make sure you become a patron in time, and I, we will be sending out the link of, for that to our patrons. So sound good? That sounds amazing. All right. I'm really excited to be along for the ride. As am I. As am I. All right. Speaking of patrons, thank you to these amazing patrons. John R. Caitlin of T with Tolkien. Ms. Anonymous. Andrew T. Red Hawk. Shannon S. Brian O. Emilio P. Zeke F. James A. James L. Chris L. Chuck F. Ozzy V. Ish of the Hammer. Teresa C. David of Pints with Jack. Jonathan D. Eric S. Eric B. Johanna T. Mike M. Robert H. Paul D. Julia. And Wirtie. As well as those celebrating their Patreon anniversary in January of 2022. 2022. Tyler W. Mike M. Elena V. Richard K. Melanie. Scott W. Jason T. David G. And John R. Thanks, guys. Thanks, y'all. Yes. And we will uh, we enjoyed this episode. We're looking forward to this journey. Mm-hmm. And we will talk at you next time. Yeah. Bye, y'all. Bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.